folks. We're going on grid. This is Sports Grid. Get on the grid. Fantasy Sports Today is back for hour number two. We have some news from the NBA and NFL. And, of course, we break down the latest in fantasy baseball as Fantasy Sports Today. Hour number two starts now. It's Fantasy Sports Today. All right, welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. It is Craig Mish along with Frank Stample here on the show. Of course, Chris Pavona is our producer here on the show. We got you until 1 o'clock here on the East. And, Frank, uh, looks like we got some breaking news in the NBA. Why don't you tell everybody all about it? Yeah, Steve Mills has been relieved of his duties as the president of the New York Knicks. Uh, and, you know, Steve Mills had been there a long time with James Dolan. We were hoping this move would uh, happen years ago, but it finally happens here. Uh, after years of ineptitude, uh, the New York Knicks have made the playoffs just three times since 2000, four times rather, since 2001. Uh, it's just very interesting timing with the NBA trade deadline coming up here. Uh, Scott Perry will now take over uh, as the uh, as the full-time GM uh, for the foreseeable future uh, with the New York Knicks. So uh, just huge news right, uh, right ahead of the NBA trade deadline. Let's see if, if that uh, influences what kind of moves the Knicks make uh, here at the trade deadline. Yeah, and, yeah, and before we go to the, uh, the sports grid update here, we will in just a minute here. Uh, your opinion, Frank, does anything legitimately change with the Knicks? I mean, we've been hearing about all these changes for years. I mean, how many presidents have they gone through? They've gone through Phil Jackson. They've gone through Mills. Uh, I mean, it seems like it's still right at the top. I mean, if ownership doesn't change, does anything legitimately change? Legit question for me. Um, I, so everything that I'm reading on Twitter right now uh, is that the team is expected to uh, pursue Masai Ujiri, who has been the team president uh, of the Toronto Raptors for the uh, for the past couple of years, and he's done a phenomenal job there. So uh, obviously they're going to interview uh, a bunch of different candidates here. But if you can bring in somebody with clout like a Masai Ujiri uh, or you know like a Sam Presti, if they can pry him away from the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, obviously you know that would be massive for the New York Knicks. Uh, the problem, you know, they've had candidates in the past, like David Griffin, for example, wanted to be the GM of the Knicks uh, before he signed on with the New Orleans Pelicans. The problem was uh, he was not given full autonomy of the team uh, because Steve Mills was still the president of the team. So, I mean, what's the point of becoming a GM if you can't make the moves and kind of construct the team uh, in your vision? So that's why that's what's deterred others from uh, taking this job with the New York Knicks in the past. So if they can actually lure one of these big-name executives away from other teams where they have had success, we've seen in the past, look, James Dolan is willing to spend money. So if he's willing to spend money on one of these big-name executives uh, then perhaps things can finally start to turn around here for the New York Knicks, Craig. All right, with that, let's get more on this breaking story as we have a Sports Grid update with Chris Pavona. Sports Grid News Update. That's right, Craig. Thank you, Frank, for bringing it up because, of course, the big news out of the NBA is Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted out that league sources told ESPN the New York Knicks are parting ways with President Steve 
Mills. That is all that's right now all we have uh, on this, but we will definitely keep you guys updated as we know more. And also, of course, about who will be the interim GM and, of course, who will be the next GM for the New York Knicks. Uh, we also had uh, big NFL news coming from Ian Rappaport on, twi on Twitter. The Jacksonville Jaguars announced today the team will play two of their home games at Wembley Stadium over consecutive Sundays in London this upcoming season, making them the first team in NFL history to play two home games outside of the United States in the same regular season. The opponents are still to be determined. And in baseball, guys, the long-time question among Yankees fans, and more specifically Derek Jeter fans, may be who the hell is that writer? The lone baseball writer who did not vote for Derek Jeter for the Hall of Fame chose to keep the ballot private. The, uh, the Baseball Writers Association of America released the ballots of 315 Hall of Hall voters on Tuesday, and all public ballots included the longtime New York Yankees captain. Jeter and uh, Larry Walker will be inducted July 26th at the Hall in Cooperstown, along with catcher Ted Simmons and former Players Association head Marvin Miller, who were voted in last month by the Hall's modern NBA committee. That is all the news for now from uh, me, Chris Bavona, and uh, we are going to give Gak to Fantasy Sports Today. Fantasy Sports Today. Straight ball, I get it very much. Ball. That's our friend. Craig Mish and Frank Stanfold. You got to take a view. That's my offer to God. Wrong. All right, welcome back. Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Frank here with you on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network and also on Sports Grid. Good to be here with you as. We are on this Tuesday, a week away from pitchers and catchers in Major League Baseball, NBA trade deadline coming. A lot of fun stuff to cover today. Of course, Pharrell will have a lot of updates on everything happening in the world of sports wagering later today at the FanDuel Sportsbook. We've got the Fantasy BFFs coming your way at uh, a little bit later this uh, this afternoon as, as Frank uh, heads over to New York along with Greg Sussman, so stay tuned to that as well. And, uh, and, Frank, we just got the kind of update here on the story where the New York Knicks have made a big change and they've decided to part ways with their team president. And, Frank, you think that this is something that will be positive. Am I correct here? Because, again, uh, no disrespect to the Knicks or any other team, but they've made so many changes through the years. I hate to say it's like a Washington Redskins situation, but it sure feels like that with the Knicks. Yeah, I think that that's uh, definitely fair to say. And we just got another tweet from Adrian Wojnarowski uh, on Twitter. Uh, owner James Dolan is targeting Toronto President Masai Ujiri, so that confirms uh, you know, what we kind of thought and what we've heard. Uh, to ultimately oversee New York's operations, league sources tell ESPN he is under contract through 2020-2021 in Toronto. So we'll see if the Knicks can pry someone like Ujiri away. Obviously, you know he's done such a great job in building up that Raptors team. They won the championship last year. They remain competitive one year after uh, trading away, uh, or rather Kawhi Leonard leaving the team. So, uh, uh, And, you know, the Knicks have been fleeced before by, by Masai Ujiri uh, in trades, you know, trading for Andrea Bargnani in the past as well. So uh, I think it makes a lot of sense to target someone like that. And obviously, uh, if Ujiri came in, you know, he'd have say over, you know, his people that he wants to bring in. Probably would be a change at GM as well. Uh, and obviously, he'd oversee all of basketball operations. So honestly, Craig, I can't see how it can get worse based on what, you know, Steve Mills has done uh, as long as he's been with the Knicks. Again, it's they've made the playoffs four times uh, since the year 2001. And you know, based on a team that plays in such a massive market in New York and how much this team is worth uh, and the fact that they've been a team that has to build through the draft, that shouldn't be the case, right? Like, if, if you're a team with um, 
that that is is worth this much money and playing in a market like this you should be able to lure free agents uh to play with the knicks and they haven't been able to do that so uh, we'll see if they can if they can turn that around but obviously uh this is huge news and and i expect more to come uh, in the coming days as we approach the nba trade deadline yeah and 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 again um for for those of you who are familiar with my work and i've expressed this many times is that uh, once upon a time I was a huge NBA fan. I still follow the Miami Heat here in South Florida because, of course, I've covered them for almost two decades. But in terms of fantasy, my knowledge at this stage is more, and even wagering to that degree, is more or less limited to the NFL, college football, college basketball, and uh, and Major League Baseball. So we'll be leaning on Frank for the NBA, no doubt about that. But I can certainly understand the sentiment being a fan of the Knicks but forgive me if I'm cynical at the idea that as long as that owner is still in charge, I find it very hard to believe that a lot changes. I will say this, and you bring up a really good point, Frank. You're playing in arguably the most popular and decorated stadium in the world in terms of the NBA, and how the Knicks have been bad for this long and so consistently bad for this long is embarrassing. Like that, I, I mean, how is that even possible? Like You would think that once every five, six, seven years you'd be good. Like, just by falling on dumb luck. And and you could make the case like that in every sport. And, and again, no disrespect to the Kansas City Royals. I mean, the Kansas City Royals went to back-to-back World Series. In the NFL, the Carolina Panthers went to a championship. You know, they went to Super Bowls. So, I mean, you would think that just at, at some point the Knicks would be good. The Raptors won the championship, yeah, I- you know? I agree completely, right? Look, I'm I'm a diehard uh, Knicks fan, have been my entire life. My favorite sport growing up was basketball. It's the first sport that I played as well. So, look, I've watched this organization, this franchise, this team very closely my entire life, and you're absolutely right. I think it's just the, the most recent moves that this team has made I mean, if you're the owner of the team, how do you sit there and watch Kristaps Porzingis with the Mavericks back-to-back games put up over 35 points uh, and just know that you traded him away last year uh, to clear cap space in order to sign max free agents, uh, and then you wind up with zero max free agents, and instead you sign four power forwards uh, in a league where it's trending towards smaller basketball uh, and outside shooting. They're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the NBA right now, so I think just a culmination of really these most recent moves for the Knicks, just uh, not being able to land any big-name free agents uh, this past summer, uh, signing just a bunch of you know misfit players uh, to come in and play on one-year contracts. And basically that's the reason why you traded Kristaps Porzingis away, uh, someone who has been referred to as a unicorn, Craig, uh, you know, someone who's seven foot two who can shoot you know, 35 feet away from the basket. Uh, it's just you know one of those mu- uh, not mind-numbing moves uh, that they've made uh, under this tenure. And I think uh, just seeing those things in the recent play is why we end up with Steve Mills uh, outed here today ahead of the NBA trade deadline. All right, so there you have it, the latest on the Knicks. More information that I could have ever delivered. That's why uh, it's great to have Frank here to be able to tell you all about that as well as Chris Bifona in his Sports Grid updates. But coming up next, we'll dive into the New York Mets. Tim Healy's getting ready to head to Port St. Lucie next week to cover them. I'll be seeing him in spring training, no doubt about that. But get a little bit of a preview of what the spring could look like as Tim joins us next from Newsday. Don't go away. More fantasy sports today coming up next. Frank Stample, Craig Mish. Don't go away.
Want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season? Then join DailyRoto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players. Get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS, line combinations, and build stacks for tournaments in the Daily Roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using Daily Roto, you are doing it wrong. Enter the promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Frank Stanford. Sports Today. Straight ball, I get it very much. Curveball, that's all, Fred. Yes. Craig Mish and Frank Stanford. You got to take a view. That's my offer to cigar. Wrong. Welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish along with Frank Stanford here on the show. We're closing in on spring training. And a great time of the year to be in South Florida. And, of course, somebody who's covered it for a number of years on the Mets side, on the Marlins side. You, of course, can follow him on Twitter at Tim B. Healy, H-E-A-L-E-Y. He covers the Mets for Newsday, also the author of Hometown Hardball. And uh, a lot of fun, a lot of snark, a lot of good ways that the Mets are covered. That's a great follow on Twitter for you guys throughout the season in both fantasy and reality because he gets the game of reality and absolutely gets the game of fantasy. Tim Healy joins us now. Tim, uh, Frank, and Craig, good afternoon. Thanks for coming on the show. Happy to. How are you guys? Doing very well. All right, so let's let's kind of start off with this. Uh, how soon will we be able to put this whole uh, managerial thing, do you think, on the Mets side, Tim, behind us here? Not a fantasy question, but a reality question, because I saw the tweet the other day from some fan who bought tickets, I believe it yeah. was, was it was it spring training or the regular season that had Beltran spring training on there? tickets. Okay, okay. So how soon do you think we'll be able to put this behind us here? I think we're we're very close to putting it all behind us. I'm sure it'll be a topic of conversation for the first couple of days of spring training next week. Pitchers and catchers report Monday. I think the first full squad workout is a week after that. So after those initial, you know chit-chat with players for their first time in camp, that, so those sort of interviews. After that, I think it'll be pretty much be over. But as far as the Mets' involvement in this sign-stealing saga, Belt, they unfortunately got dragged into it via Beltron, via hiring Beltron. They dumped him, got Luis Rojas, who is a great accidental hire to make. And uh, so, so I think it's, from the Mets' perspective, it's very close to, to over. All right, so if we're able to move on from this and we're able to move on soon, when pitchers and catchers report, I think at least the initial story in terms of what's new for the Mets, for people who may be just starting to wake up to baseball, would be the pitching additions that the Mets have made with Porcello and Waka and, of course, Dellen Betances. Now, certainly they've made some offensive changes as well, but to me it's really about some of these pitchers that have been added, Tim. So what do you think the purpose was of that with the Mets and how do you think that the changes will work for them this year? You're right. Most of their all-season additions have been on the pitching side, but the chances in the bullpen uh, it could be great. I think the, the bullpen could really go either ways. Edwin Diaz had a terrible year. Jerry Familia had a terrible year. Seth Lugo was excellent again. So if, if all of those chips fall the right way for the Mets, including Batances coming off a year in which he pitched in one game, then they can have a terrific bullpen. Um, will all the chips fall in the right direction? Probably not, but if, well, maybe enough of them will for the Mets' sake. 
Rotation-wise, they did add Rick Porcello and Michael Waka, which I found super interesting because they already had four starters penciled in to the rotation in DeGrom, Syndergaard, Matz, and uh, Strowman. Uh, wow, I'm a little rusty there. It took me a second to remember <laughs> Strowman. <laughs> so going into camp, they have six starters, six pretty established starters for five spots. So there's going to be a little bit of a battle there and a little bit of a decision on the Mets part, pending injury, of course. So it's going to be real interesting to see which of those guys, if any, end up in the bullpen, um, which is uh, you know another uh, question mark, another moving piece as far as the pitching situation goes for the Mets. Hey, Tim. Frank Sample here. Thanks so much for joining us today. One of those pitchers that is locked into the rotation is Noah Syndergaard, and fantasy owners and Mets fans alike are waiting for Syndergaard to return to that 2016 form when he posted a 2.60 yeah. ERA, 218 strikeouts, and 183 and two-thirds innings pitched. You know, since then, he either can't stay healthy, or when he does stay healthy like he did last year, he didn't really perform up to the level that we expected him to. So, what is it going to take in 2020? How do we get there this upcoming season with Noah Syndergaard? How, how does he get there as a dominant pitcher again, you mean? Yeah, like how does he put it all together, like in terms of, you know, being able to stay healthy, uh, but also giving, uh, delivering us the, the results that, you know, we've seen him, you know, give us in the past? <laughs> That's a great question. And if the Mets have the answer, <laughs> then they might be an actual division title contender this year. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Noah Syndergaard and his return to that 2016 form, or even something close to it, to be honest, is a huge piece in whether the Mets are good or just mediocre again. Because you're right, 2016, amazing. You know, helped the Mets get to that wild card game. In 17, he was mostly hurt. In 18, he was hurt and just okay. And last year, he, was not, he, wasn't, he wasn't good last year. It was kind of confounding. Um, so which Noah Syndergaard is going to show up this year, I don't know. I, I think I'm, I'm still willing to bet on the talent and the stuff and all of that, but here we are, you know, going on a half decade into his major league career, and we're still waiting for, you know, former top prospect, perennial would-be Cy Young contender Noah Syndergaard to actually be that. Um, he's still only 27, doesn't turn 28 till August, I think. So he's not old by any means, uh, but there's only two years till free agency. So it's getting time to put up or shut up for Noah Syndergaard. And I think that's absolutely one of the main themes, one of the main storylines of the Mets season heading into spring training. No doubt Tim Healy is with us. Uh, Syndergaard in fantasy, I always say he's he's kind of like the, the Rob Gronkowski of, of tight ends. Like you draft him once, Tim, and then you, you love him when you get him, and then you don't ever want to do it again. It's just kind of right. everyone, everyone has their go around with him. But hopefully this is the year for sure. And DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, Waka, Porcello, even Mats. Strong rotation for the Mets going into the season, no doubt. Um, we'll get back to the bullpen in just a second. Let's go to the offense here. Uh, look, the, you, you can't argue uh, with Brody Van Wagen and getting J.D. Davis. I mean, that was a nice ad for the Mets for sure. Terrific one. Uh, yeah, and, and I liked him in Houston, honestly, Tim. I thought that he was, you know, sometimes Houston, with all the talent they have, they have to 
you know, punt some of these players, and they punted him. Mm-hmm. They punted Teoscar Hernandez. They they traded all those prospects to get Zach Greinke. But Davis, in particular, never got a real shot with the Astros. And I would ask you, uh, defensively, is his glove good enough to play every day in left field? I know McNeil's probably going to be the third baseman there. So I guess from a plate appearance projection, if healthy, is it safe to say 500 plate appearances, or is that stretching it? It, it might be stretching it, and I'll, I'll tell you why. You're right about McNeil penciled in at third base. He should be the basically every di- everyday guy there. Left field for the Mets is a little cloudier, and the biggest piece of J.D. Davis getting 500 at-bats might be going to Cespedes, who seems to be in remarkably good shape coming off his very badly broken ankle last year and the two heel surgeries the year before that. He hasn't played since July 2018, but seems to be raring to go. And I'm still sort of in sort of a I'll believe it when I see it mode with Cespedes and playing in major league games and playing regularly for that matter. But as far as left field goes for the Mets, yes, I expect Davis to get most of his time in left field. But whether he gets most of the Mets time in left field depends on Cespedes, depends on if Davis can be as good a hitter as he was last year. And it depends on Jake Marisnik in center and whether shifts Nimmo over to left some days. So there's a lot of moving pieces there in left field, particularly for the Mets. But I have to think depth chart-wise, J.D. Davis is at the top of it right now. I'm just not super confident in penciling him in for 500 at-bats at this moment without knowing Cespedes' uh, status 100%. Yeah, so what I was about to ask you, Tim, was, you know, what is the plan for Cespedes as of now, right? Because, you know, obviously he's making all this money, but uh, are they going to find a way to try and get him in the lineup, you know, to start the season maybe just as a part-time player, like two, three times a week, even if that? Because they have a lot of outfielders, as you mentioned, right? They have J.D. Davis in the corner. They have Conforto. They have Nemo in center field as well, and they bring in Marisnik. So, I mean, what is the plan? Like, what have you heard regarding Cespedes? You know, do they not want to put too much on his plate early on, or is it just dependent on spring training? Like, what is the plan with Cespedes as of now? It depends in part on spring training, and it depends on how much Cespedes can physically handle. His hitting progression right now is ahead of his defense and running, and depending on how he responds with a greater and greater workload over the course of the next two months will determine whether he's on the field at all or how often he's on the field come regular season. Uh, Whether... It's, so, really, it's a huge unknown. The Mets don't really know what to expect right now. Um, and, frankly, it's kind of a problem for them because they don't have the DH in the National League. They have this guy who, when healthy, could be a dynamic slugger. Um, but it's not clear that he will be able to play regularly. And if he's only a part-time player and he is on your bench half the week, then it's sort of a, a problem in terms of having a flexible roster and things along those lines. So there's a lot the Mets need to figure out with Seth Pittis in left field overall and how much he can play is near the top of that list. Well, Tim, uh, always good catching up with you. If you don't mind, uh, I will ask you one more time to do this to really help out our uh, fantasy listeners in the month of March when we get closer to the draft season. And, sure. uh, and don't think that this is uh, weird at all, but I am very much looking forward to seeing you. Spring training is here. <laughs> I'm looking forward to chop it up. And, uh, Likewise. 
and I can't wait to uh, to catch up and talk some baseball with you at the ballparks here in South Florida. Have a very safe trip later this week, and we'll catch up soon. Thank you again for making the time. Sounds good. Thank you, Craig. All right. Tim Healy with us here talking Mets baseball as spring training is next week in the state of Florida and the state of Arizona. So here's what we'll do. We'll take a quick time out on Fantasy Sports today. When we come back next, it's time to dive into some player evaluation process, how Frank and I both decide on who to take in the month of March in fantasy baseball. Is it analytics? Is it the eye test? Is it based on information? Is it based on anything else? You'll have to stay tuned and find out. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes here on Fantasy Sports Today on Sports Grid and the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Don't go away. Want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season? Then join DailyRoto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players. Get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS, line combinations, and build stacks for tournaments in the Daily Roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using Daily Roto, you are doing it wrong. Enter the promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Bish and Frank Stamfel here with you on the show. We're going to get into some player evaluation here on Fantasy Sports Today. Of course, we got you until 1 o'clock on the East. Frank and I will be back tomorrow. The League of Alternative Baseball Reality Mixed League Draft is tonight. Way too early, by the way. Way too early, by the way. But uh, they'll do it tonight. And a nice little way to kind of start off the industry. And so, Frank, I believe you and I will have a chance to discuss this uh, this draft tomorrow on the show. We'll see if we can maybe get one of the participants to talk about what they did. But I will tell you this. This will not be a show where we bring someone, someone on and say, I love what you did here, and I love what you did here, and I love what you did there. It's not my show. I won't do that, Frank. Sorry. Okay, yeah, so we just get to have somebody on and pick apart their team. What's not to like about that? Sign me up. Let's go, That's Craig. it. That's 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 what it is. You listen, if you're going to be in this draft, you got to be able to take the. That's not to say I won't like a pick or two, of course, but my gosh, like the uh, the the love has to, you know, be to to a limit at least for me. That's uh, that's for sure. So, uh, uh, take anything take away from uh, Tim Healy, Frank, before we move on to some player evaluation here on the Mets. Yeah, I actually uh, just tweeted this out during the break. I'm so happy that you asked about uh, J.D. Davis. I actually had the same exact number of plate appearances written down because I wanted to ask him about J.D. Davis. Uh, can he get to 500 plate appearances? And, you know, he's kind of seemed like it was a stretch there and look it's hard to argue with that based on the possibility that Cespedes can be a part-time player you're not going to play Cespedes in center field so he's got to play one of the corner outfield positions Uh, and then you know I I would have to imagine that you want to leave Conforto in there most of the time over someone like J.D. Davis which uh, is just it kind of sucks to be honest because J.D. Davis is one of these guys last year uh, that was a stat cast hero I mean the guy just makes massive amounts of hard contact I want to see what he can do with everyday playing time. You know, he might play, I don't know, if they have six games, he might play four or five games out of the week. But, you know, I really want to see J.D. Davis as a full-time player and what we can possibly get out of that. So uh, that was one of my takeaways uh, when it came to uh, having Tim here on the show. And I'm happy he was able to elaborate a little bit on J.D. Davis specifically. Yeah, and, and Davis was someone that I followed in Houston, which is always like when Houston lets go of a player, 
I'm not always convinced that the player isn't good. I think that, you know, it's just a matter of they have done such a nice job drafting and developing in their farm system that when they let go of a guy, I'm always curious what their skill set is. And it doesn't go for everyone. I mean, for every J.D. Davis, and no disrespect to Tony Kemp, but for every J.D. Davis, there are guys like that 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 aren't everyday uh, sort of players. But when he was let go, he was somebody that I took a uh, close look at. Of course, Musgrove was involved in a trade, too. Hasn't quite really turned the corner yet for Pittsburgh, but I'm always into those uh, ex-Astros type players. All right, uh, now let's move on, uh, Frank. Something that I know that is deep in your heart is the player evaluation process in fantasy baseball. And we all have our different ways of analyzing players before we take them. I think I probably go about it a lot differently than most people in the industry, and, and perhaps that's because of some of the access that I'm able to get, but I'd love your thoughts on how you decide as to whether or not you're going to take or not take someone. Yeah, so we were texting back and forth about this last night, uh, and I would imagine that you know our player evaluation process is probably pretty different, right? Because obviously you know, you're behind the scenes a lot, you're talking to these guys, you're, you're hearing what's going on in their personal lives as well. So, I mean, I mean, you have like a different understanding, and not that you don't look at stats, because I'm sure that you do, but you know, I'm saying from my perspective, I probably uh, rely even more so on the analytics uh, and you know specific uh, underlying numbers, uh, you know, such as uh, for pitchers. You know, I'll look at for me a big one is like swinging strike rate, obviously, and like K minus walk percentage and uh, and K per nine and walks per nine. And now we're starting to work into the uh, the Statcast numbers like spin rate uh, and uh, you know woba and expected woba. And I don't know if you've heard of uh, X wo bacon yet. Xwo bacon. That's Xwoba on that? contact. So, wow. there you go. It makes you hungry, right? Let me get an Xwo bacon, egg, and cheese, huh? Sounds pretty good to me. But yeah, th- we have all these different new analytical tools. Um, there are so many different things, and I think that you know it's fascinating that uh, we can both win leagues here, Craig. But we can get there in two completely different ways. So uh, for me personally, uh, I try to watch the games as much as possible, but I'd be lying if I said I stood up every night until 1, 1.30 a.m. watching every West Coast game and seeing all the West Coast action that's going on. So I try and catch highlights and, and watch as much live baseball as I possibly can, but I think it's impossible, if we're being honest, right, to just catch every single second of every single game. So I think that's when you have to rely on the analytics a little bit more uh, when you don't have an opportunity to kind of uh, watch every single player in every single game. Uh, So if you see these surface numbers, you almost kind of use those underlying advanced analytical numbers to kind of back up what you're seeing uh, from a surface level, and that's a lot of what I'm doing uh, when it comes to player evaluation. So I'd like to hear, uh, you know, maybe certain analytics that you might use. Do you just normally look at, like, the 5x5 five five numbers, batting average, runs, RBIs, you know, uh, strikeouts, wins when it comes to pitchers? Uh, or, or, you know, uh, do you sure. just focus mainly on, you know, what you're hearing and what you're seeing uh, when players are playing on the field? Yeah, you know, that's it's a really interesting question because I, I feel very blessed and fortunate to be one of the rare people in um, the fantasy uh, community. I tend to call it more of a community than industry. So I I feel, because industry is, I think it's just so wide scoped and ranging at this point. And I think community is a better word for it. I think it was Mike Gianello maybe who brought that up. Um, But whoever did, did a great job of that. Uh, I feel like I'm part of the community. And I feel like I'm one of the few, if not the only, honestly, person in the fantasy community that is a uh, insider in Major League Baseball that reports on signings and reports on trades and and actually is credentialed and covering Major League Baseball. 
And so with that, I feel more of a deeper responsibility, Frank, to try and engage uh, executive players, media scouts on helping the community through my eyes, ears, and voice. And so I wouldn't say that it's the determining factor for me when I take a player, but I think that it is more incorporated in that decision for me than maybe anybody else in the country. Um, of course, I look at the general stats. Uh, On-base percentage, up or down, year-to-year, very big for me. Uh, K per nine for a pitcher, clearly very big for me. Uh, batted balls in play is something I look at on every single player because I do think that there is a swing of a 10 to 20 uh, point percentage, whether or not batted balls in play are high or low. Like those are all things that I look at for sure. Uh, weighted on base is part of the conversation as well. But as opposed to using maybe 100% of that data, the one thing that I am involved in very heavily is the only leagues, the AL onlys and the NL onlys. And, Frank, one of the most important decisions that you have to make in the AL-only or NL-only format is is playing time, man. Like, playing time is just so big for those counting stats. Maybe not as much for pitchers because it's just simply about health. The guy throws 200 innings, you would expect to get a strikeout per inning from one of your top pitchers. And so you're just basically adding stats and streaming pitchers in order to get those Ks. But when it comes to the position players in the only leagues, you got to know who's going to be on the field. You got to know who's going to start. You got to know who's going to play. And I try as hard as I possibly can throughout the month of March to get those answers for my listeners and get those answers for people on social media who who are asking me. And uh, I'm not in Arizona, so certainly I don't have the opportunities like I do have in Florida to be able to cover it in that way. But to me, Frank, uh, I don't know what what I, where I would put my discussions and my personal scouting on the pie chart. But it wouldn't be 50%, but it certainly wouldn't be 5% either. Let's put it that way. So it's, it's somewhere, I would guess, in between where I would tend to gravitate more toward the information that I'm able to get that can help me uh, win leagues. I could certainly give examples of that, too, where the process didn't equal the results, and sometimes the process does equal the results. It just depends on the situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that does make sense. Uh, and for me, if I if I was just kind of breaking down that percentage for myself uh, versus you know analytics versus what I see on the field, uh, it's probably sixty forty, maybe even closer to seven thir- uh, seventy thirty in terms of uh, an- on the analytical side uh, versus what I see on the field. Uh, but you know, a few things again uh, that I'll just kind of harp on that I really focus on when it comes to uh, pitchers. I focus on obviously uh, the five by five numbers. You want to know ERA, strikeouts. You want to know WHIP. Uh, but then I'll take it one. Step further with uh, XFIP. I'll look at uh, swinging strike rate. Uh, first pitch strike percentage is very big for me. Uh, I like looking at chase rate, how often pitchers are getting opposing batters to chase pitches outside of the strike zone uh, as well. And then when it comes to hitters, again, you have to look at the 5x5 five five numbers first and foremost, but then you look at the type of contact that they're making. And I look a lot at hard contact, and that's where average exit velocity and the stat cast data comes into play. And I look at launch angle too, because uh, you want to see if someone in the past uh, has hit more ground balls or line, line drives, and now they're raising that launch angle, maybe you can expect that person to take a step up in the power department in terms of home runs and extra base hits. Uh, and we've really seen that the past couple of years, the, this kind of launch angle revolution. It was started with guys like uh, Daniel Murphy and Josh Donaldson, where they really started to uh, embrace that. So, uh, of course, I think it'll always start for me with the 5 by 5 numbers uh, here, Craig, and then I'll kind of 
dig a little bit deeper using some of the other analytical things that are coming about, uh, things that you can find on Fangraphs, things that you can find on like Brooks Baseball on a per-pitch basis. Uh, and then I'll also look at Baseball Savant, which is where you can find uh, the StatCast data, where you can see average exit velocity, uh, and then also uh, launch angle and, and expected batting average, and expected slugging percentage to see if someone's either uh, way overperforming their expectations or underperforming expectations. And that's how uh, you can almost kind of identify buy lows and sell highs in season. So so I really try to take all of those things into account uh, when trying to figure out players to uh, either draft or obviously uh, buy or sell in season. Yeah, and, and that's that's really good breakdown, and and I think that that's that's definitely a big part of it. And I think specifically to me, Frank, the one thing that I always look for, and the one I, I think issue that I think fantasy players have is kind of trying to figure out which players that have that good first year back it up with the second. There, uh, to me, it's not at the rookie slumps anymore. I have never seen baseball like I've seen in the last 10 years with these bigger, faster, stronger players, Alonzo, Alvarez. Like the, the idea that rookies don't hit and rookies don't perform anymore is a, a, a complete fallacy. I mean, they, they're coming up and they're ready, but it's maintaining it in that second year. You know, for, Frank, I think for me, that's it. It's like, will Alonzo come close to repeating? Will Alvarez come close to repeating? Will Tatis come close to repeating? And if we could solve that mystery, I think we'd be a lot better off. That always seems to be the issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm happy you brought up those three names in particular because look at the value, the the cost associated with those players right now. Tatis, a borderline first-round pick. Uh, Alonzo and your, uh, Jordan Alvarez, a, a third-round picks right now, according to the NFBC. So, look, you have to... Do you have to invest very high draft picks in these players that are going into their second year. And, and I do believe what I said earlier, right? Like, there's going to be an adjustment period for all of these players. You're not just going to take, all right, well, Fernando Tatis played 84 games last year. Let's double the numbers, and that's what we're expecting. Like, oh, yeah, he had 22 home runs, 16 stolen bases. So uh, we have to expect 45 home runs and 30 stolen bases. Like, no, there's no way that he's going to put, put that up. And it wouldn't be realistic to project that. But specifically uh, looking at those second-year players and realizing that there is going to be an adjustment period. You are 100% right about, I mean, players really coming out of nowhere in their rookie years and dominating from a fantasy perspective. And I think that's why you really see so many of these uh, industry leagues and high-stakes leagues uh, drafting those prospects because they're trying to find the next Fernando Tatis for this upcoming season. All right, that will uh, put the cap on that interesting conversation how we analyze we'll be back with more fantasy sports today in just a couple of minutes want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season then join dailyroto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS line combinations and build stacks for tournaments in the daily roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer if you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using daily roto you are doing it wrong enter the promo code action for a 10% discount that's promo code action for a 10% discount Sports Today with Craig Mish and Frank Stanford. All right, welcome back. Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Frank here with you. And we got about 15 minutes left here in the show. We've had a fun time being with you the last couple of days. Frank, how's the sports book looking out there today? Hot, cold? What's going on? The fourth, uh, the sports book is uh, filling up right now. We've got some ponies out here running, and people are getting excited for that. But uh, 
we've it's starting to fill up here. We've got we've got some action here at the FanDuel Sportsbook. Again, it's a really nice day. Like we've got some overcast, but expected to uh, be a high of 57 degrees here in the Northeast today. So uh, it's actually some pretty nice weather, and uh, we're filling out pretty nicely here at the sportsbook. All right. So from here, you take uh, a cab to a bus to a train to a cab to the studio. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah, all the way to Santa Slay, and then they bring me to Greg Sussman. Impressive, impressive. Sussman's got a lot of money. He can't just, like, send a car to pick you up, like a limo or something? I mean, that's what I'm saying, right? Like, it's not a joke at this point. Everyone knows Greg Sussman's got money, right? So, a lot of money. come on, man. Like, we're supposed to be best friends. Craig, like, if you and I did a show together, best friends forever, and the only thing that was needed to get me from me to you faster was a quick little car ride. You would pay for my car ride. I believe that. 100%. We can't be 100%. best friends forever without you paying for my car ride. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a really big fan of Greg Sussman. Um, and now I've, I've started to sour a little bit on him. I, got, I mean, it all started with the Jonathan Singleton, uh, you know, drafting. And now, I mean, all of those uh, autographs that he got of Jonathan Singleton and sold them and, he, and all that money that he made and, and, and he can't even pick you up. Like, I don't know. It's just kind of embarrassing for me. But I was a fan. I have to say now I've, I've lost a little of my fandom for, uh, for Greg. But all right. Uh, I wanted to, to, you got, you to check this out, Frank, when you have time after the show because I know you'll have like eight trips, so you will. So listen to this. So USA Today. Uh, which I would say is a reputable newspaper you would consider to be, Frank. Is that accurate? USA Today? Yeah. Still reputable? I think that's fair to say. Yep. Okay. Their Twitter handle, USA Today Sports, posted their projections from MLB in 2020. And it says, our six-person panel's aggregate projections. Now, in those projections, Frank... They spelled Cincinnati wrong, and they called the Miami Marlins the Florida Marlins, okay? And they issued an apology about, let's see, about, uh, I want to say it's about maybe like 30 minutes after they realized whoever was doing this spelled Cincinnati wrong, and then someone, uh, Anderson Picard, who is a young man who also reports on baseball, tweeted to them, you subtly changed Florida to Miami without issuing an apology to the Marlins. Because, of course, they issued an apology to Cincinnati for not including one of the N's in their name. And USA Today, their Twitter handle, Frank, responded, oh, yeah, that too. Sorry to Marlins fan, all 16 of you. Coming from the USA Today Twitter handle. So I'm actually looking at this right now, and I'm seeing the apology that they put out uh, for Cincinnati. Uh, we're very sorry to the entire city of Cincinnati and all of its fans for, for getting the third N. Here's an updated version. Uh, but you're right. They did not, or if they did issue an apology uh, for the Miami Marlins, not the Florida Marlins, uh, it certainly was not a heartfelt one. Uh, I'm starting to believe that potentially they potentially have a Florida man uh, running this Twitter account, Craig Mish. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. I like it. Uh, good, good job by you, Frank. Here, uh, you know, coming toward the end of the show. All right, uh, back to uh, fantasy baseball. We go. Nelson Cruz's ADP is eighty-seven. Chris Davis's ADP is one seventy-seven. 
And Miguel Andujar, I'm not really sure what they're going to do with this guy. Miguel Andujar's ADP is 256. And for you, Frank, these players seem undervalued. Care to explain? Yeah, so I think that we are getting these utility-only players. And mind you, I haven't really been a big proponent of the utility-only players. I guess you could put Shohei Otani in this uh, category as well. Uh, But this seems a little egregious this year, especially the Chris Davis one. Like, I I solely believe that he was playing through injury last year. He, like, ran into a wall uh, at Safeco sometime in, like, March, and he, like, banged his hip up. His hip was never the same for the rest of the season, uh, and his numbers suffered because of that. And again, that's where you can't just look at the numbers and say, oh, well, Chris Davis fell off a cliff. He's terrible. You have to kind of have context there and know that Chris Davis was hurt last season, and that's why it affected his production. And I'm not ready to believe that all of a sudden, he just completely fell off the face of the earth. Like, he still makes a ton of hard contact. I believe he's one of the premier uh, sluggers in baseball in terms of uh, hitting home runs. And I believe that if Chris Davis is healthy this year, that he will come close to hitting 40 home runs again or even exceed hitting 40 home runs. And hopefully we can get him back to that 247 batting average plateau uh, that he seemingly was at every single season. So, I mean, to get him at 177 right now, you're getting guys like, I'll give you Aristides Aquino, for example, who's going around 150, uh, where what are you expecting Aristides Aquino to do? He's probably going to be a batting average liability. You want him to hit for power. Chris Davis does that, and he's done that as one of the best sluggers in the league for the past four or five seasons, and you're getting him 25 to 30 picks later than Aristides Aquino, and you don't have any playing time concerns either when it comes to Chris Davis. And, you know, I'll say the same thing about Nelson Cruz. We spoke about uh, Jordan Alvarez earlier in the show. Nelson Cruz, I understand. Everyone's worried about the age, right? They're just, uh, you know, I'd rather be one year early rather than one year late. He's 39 years old. He's going to turn 40 on July 1st this year. But look at what he did last year. Only 120 games played. 311 batting average. 41 home runs. 108 RBIs. That is what guys that are going in, like, the second round do in the entirety of a season. That's like Aaron Judge's season. And Nelson Cruz did it in 120 games last year, and you're telling me that you're getting Nelson Cruz right now at pick 87? The only reason you're doing that is because of age bias, the fact that he's going to turn 40 this year, and because he's util only. And I get it, right? Like, you don't want to, more often than not, you don't want to clog up your utility spot. But if you can get a player that's going to give you second, third round production, Craig, and you're getting him at pick 87. Just because people are worried about his age, look, I don't know what he's doing. I know that he's uh, he's had the PED issue in the past. It's really remarkable what he's been able to do at this age and, and this stage of his career and to keep up this type of consistency. But specifically, I think these three players, and in Andujar, you, know, you worry a little bit about the playing time, but uh, that's one of those guys where if he does work himself into everyday, an everyday role with the Yankees in that ballpark, in that lineup, and you are getting him at... 256 right now. That is another tremendous value. And I think that you are getting those values right now, Craig, because these players are utility-only players. Uh, Do you care to uh, agree or disagree? Uh, And maybe kind of even reveal if you will be on any of these players in the 2020 fantasy baseball season. Sure. It's the debut of your exit velocity, so I don't want to take too much time here, Frank, and I'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, I will be out on Andujar. I will be out on Nelson Cruz because of age, and I will be in on Chris Davis. I completely agree with your sentiment there. You don't do what he did three years in a row 
and not have that kind of uh, not have that kind of success. So with that, let's send it over to Frank Stamfel as he ends the show with this edition of Exit Velocity. I feel the need, the need for speed. Ow! Exit Velocity. Nice velocity. Thank you very much, Craig, and the debut of Exit Velocity for myself, Frank Sample, here on Fantasy Sports Today. I wanted to talk a little bit about people who are complaining about slow drafts, right? We hear about slow drafts uh, in the NFBC where we get a lot of our ADP data from. They have the draft champions formats there where you have uh, drafts that have a one-hour clock. You have drafts with a two-hour clock, drafts with a four-hour clock. I know there are also best ball drafts going on over at Fantrax, uh, which either have a four or even an eight-hour clock maybe. Uh, But these are what are considered slow drafts, and normally they take anywhere from two, two to three weeks to compete uh, to complete them in their entirety. People are complaining about people using their time and uh, it being a long slow draft. Well, let me remind everyone, this is what you signed up for. How can you complain about a draft being too slow when it's in the title? The title is called a slow draft. So, Craig, I know that you uh, will be competing in the draft and hold for Tout Wars, and uh, that is going to be a slow draft as well. So I hope that you are not one of these people complaining about how long it takes to draft uh, because, again, this is what you sign up for. This is, you know, one, two, four-hour clock. If you want to do a draft and just get it over with, just sign up for one of the express drafts. Sign up the, the, for the draft that only takes one to two hours. So that's my exit velocity for the day. Stop complaining about slow drafts if these are the drafts that you're signing up for. For Craig Mish and our producers, Chris Pavona, Danny Okers, and Window Will, I'm Frank Stample. Thank you so much for listening to Fantasy Sports Today. And remember, stay classy, fantasy owners. We'll see you tomorrow. Want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season? Then join DailyRoto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players. Get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS, line combinations, and build stacks for tournaments in the Daily Roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using Daily Roto, you are doing it wrong. Enter the promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount.